listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 We're going to lead, though, Vegas style with Monday Night Football. And I think Kansas City, New England, we start, then go to Green Bay. Yeah, it was no Cam Newton for the New England Patriots, and it showed Kansas City 26-10 to a win last night on Monday Night Football, the first of two games on Monday Night Football. Kansas City has played four games. They're 4-0, and right? So here's the question. What games have they impressed? So week one, I thought it was, you know, remember the opening Thursday game. Mm-hmm. I thought it was mighty impressive, to be honest with you. They handled Houston, it seems, in a workmanlike fashion. But this is a Houston team that's now 0-4, that's fired the coach. So you can look back in hindsight and say, eh, not that impressive. And obviously against the Chargers, they could have easily lost that game. And you could make the case, nah, not so impressive. And that's kind of why the Kansas City was a three-and-a-half-point underdog last Monday night with COVID, no fans or limited fans. You know, home field's more towards two, maybe even a little less at this point. So it was saying Baltimore is clearly the better team. Well, Kansas City dominated maybe the best performance of any team this year. And then last night, though they covered the spread, I would make the statement, I would say strongly, that Kansas City didn't seem all that impressive. First, let's check that premise. How impressive, Jonas, do you think Kansas City was? Uh, I was not impressed with Kansas City. I actually came away from that game, even though they lost and they had a bunch of turnovers, which we're going to get into. I was more impressed with New England because I think with Cam Newton at quarterback and not the turnovers, that's a completely different game we're recapping today. Yeah, minus three in turnovers. Uh, Hoyer with a pick, Hoyer with a strip sack in which he gave up the ball, and Stidham comes in. I think he's now 40% of his passes are interceptions. Uh, that, that, that might be a little high, but but still, not not good, as Chevy Chase would say. And also, just off to the side, you've got to give Belichick, you know, elephant uh, fortitude, we'll call it. Yeah. And, and here's why. Imagine the negotiation evolution, the life cycle of the CAM negotiations, meaning at a certain point, Carolina releases them. Then his agent, they look around and it's like, okay, who wants him? He wants uh, $25 million probably. I'm guessing there, but he wanted a nice number. And pass, 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 everyone passes. And it's like, all right, at some point it's $18 million. Pass, pass, pass. some point it keeps going down, down, down. There was a point... That wasn't the minimum, pretty much, was what he signed for. I mean, get some incentives, but still, pretty much like a shockingly low number. There was a time in which they cycled around one other time, right? The time before that. I don't know if it was $8 million, $9 million, but it would have been one increment higher than what the minimum he finally signed for. And you know what? 31 teams said no, but so did the Pats. Knowing what Stidham is at this point, or at least seemingly what we know, that he was the third stringer, right? Hoyer started for a reason. Mm. And when he came in, he threw two interceptions. It, how in the heck did Belichick say, oh, Cam, you, you want $8 million? Nah, too much. How did he do that? I don't know. If you just look around the NFL landscape, 
all the teams that you would have thought would be interested in Cam Newton made the decision not to take him so early. And to your point, Belichick just waited it out. The Bears made a decision to go after Nick Foles really, really early, which is why now people look and go, well, gosh, you could have had you know, Cam Newton. It would have cost you a lot less, and you wouldn't have to give up the draft pick for it. I mean, even Dallas, looking for a backup quarterback, went out and got Andy, Andy Dalton. Yeah, Wait, that was uh, a good backup, though. I, I mean, that, that's, that's fine, but Cam Newton was also available, and that was one of the other guys that people were looking at saying, so why would they sign Andy Dalton if Cam Newton wasn't available? And I don't know if the health and the concerns about whether or not he could come back, even Washington. Washington and Ron Rivera made the decision to, to, to swap for Kyle. Allen, they could have had Cam Newton as well too, and and Ron Rivera knows Cam Newton better than anybody because he coached him for so long. It's bizarre. Wow, there you and, go. Yeah, I mean, so so either Belichick got really really lucky, or he ran, read the landscape of the NFL and said nobody's going to sign this guy. I'll just wait it out. Yeah, see, I'm actually of a different mind when it comes to the other teams because what the talking heads say is they'll go, well. You know, if you got a quarterback that can't stand having a celebrity backup, then he's not an NFL caliber quarterback anyway. And I think there's some truth to that. But I also think this. The, the goal of the GM isn't necessarily to cultivate an NFL caliber quarterback. The goal of the GM is to keep his job. So if he has invested in a quarterback where it's like me and you, baby, if you're good, I'm good. If you're gone, I'm probably gone, which is the case oftentimes with those high draft choices, right? The GM's pretty much tenure with the team is tied to that quarterback. You want to do whatever you can to max his chances. So I'm not saying that's exactly the case with Trubisky. I don't understand the dynamics of the GM there and and the ownership, but let's say it's generally the case. Then for him, yeah, Cam, I think any reasonable person would have thought, he has a higher potential right now than Trubisky, and he has a higher potential than Nick Foles. I think even before the season, that was generally something I believe the most people that were you know bright about the NFL believes. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. So here's the question. Is if Cam came in, was disruptive, just through being a celebrity, just being the, the presence he is, the physical presence. They say that when you see him, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's a quarterback? You know, even the NFL guys do that, which, you know, tells you something is I don't know. Now, if somehow he played great cam for a team for Chicago, let's say, and then resigned long term contract and played great, then fine. The GM gets credit. But there's a real chance cam would have came in for one year, played really well, disrupted potentially Trubisky's path and then leave. And now where's the GM? So in a weird way. The misaligned interest we talk about all the time is what is the interest of the GM? What is the interest of the team? Sometimes they're not aligned. And I think Cam Newton, and I'll let you you know, respond here. I think Cam Newton's a perfect example that in very few cases was Cam a good thing for the GM, even if it would have been a good thing for the team. Yeah, and, and you and you look around the NFL and look at the different situations. I mean, the Raiders went out and gave Marcus Mariota, what, $13 million? I think he got a two-year deal for like seven and change. Or more than Cam, like for sure. Yeah, 100%. Seven times more than Cam, I think, if you break down the annual salary. And that, too, was also a situation where if maybe you bring in a guy like Cam Newton, Newton, Derek Carr, who's already got enough pressure and already feeling, you know, a little bit of the heat. 
Marcus Mariota maybe made more sense to them from a personality standpoint and, and just a name standpoint because Derek Carr wouldn't have felt threatened. But then you go to a team like Jacksonville. I mean, why did Jacksonville not even kick the tires and take a look at this? Like Jacksonville didn't even, from what I've heard, they didn't even really consider it when it came wow. to Cam Newton. I mean, to, me, Joe, to, uh, to me, that's why I actually was kind of with Fez on them tanking because – I've never seen, I've said this once or twice, I've never seen a team with a quarterback as modestly pedigreed, that's code for with not, no success behind him, right, that didn't have a competitive camp. Like you will see a quarterback as bad as Minshew start, but typically, and you'll see, and maybe the better way to say it will be uh, part of pedigree is being a high draft choice. I know it doesn't prove anything, but it does clear the way. You know, Washington had to give Haskins every opportunity because they have such equity in the pick. Yeah. But to have a six-round pick with Minshew being his second year and not have a competitive camp to literally seemingly try not to have a competitive camp with Glennon, right? Is to me, I've never seen that before, and it was very suspicious. You know what I think about Jacksonville now? After losing with them this weekend, I think it's just we can't, we can't forget this coaching staff was on the way out, yeah. and, and somehow uh, when Coughlin got thrown out, it kind of they decided to keep this staff. This staff has not been good, and to some degree, I think they got good young players, or you know at least burgeoning potentially good young players. But man, oh man, obviously it was a toxic environment. Everyone wants out of there now. How much of that was Coughlin in Jacksonville? how much the current staff, how much who knows. But boy, oh boy, I think that Jacksonville's trying hard. I just don't think they have a super competent staff right now. But it looked like, and maybe that looked like they were tanking, but they thought, you know, we're trying our best, buddy. <laughs> I've, always, I've always been of the belief that NFL teams, it's not that they tank. Their front offices just don't put them in the best position to succeed. Well, when that, you that's see, the way I put it. When you see Fezzik do anything <laughs> athletic, you think he's tanking. Right. But he's trying. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I've always believed, if you think about it, the arbitrary nature of a game being four quarters and, you know, 60 minutes. In theory, in poker, we talk about that it's just one long game. That if you're up or down one session, it doesn't really matter. Now, in the NFL, we know for sure it matters because every 60 minutes, every four quarters is when they say, okay, we're going to decide who's won this game. You get a win or a loss, it's binary, and you move on. But if you think about it, over the course of the season, the percentage of the time that you are leading is a great indication about how good you are. Because if you storm back at the end of a game, that's eh, kind of lucky. If you win three and a half quarters, that tells you something. Or the team that's leading the most this season, the Buffalo Bills, playing great. And if you look at the if you look up there and look at the list, all very good teams at the top: Indy, Seattle, Baltimore, San Francisco, Rams, Green Bay, Kansas City. I mean, great teams. Tampa Bay. Now you look at the bottom, the team that's led the least this entire season. And here's the bottom. And I'm going to read them in order to the last team. Houston, Washington, Jacksonville, Giants, Jets, 
last Dallas Cowboys led the least. And look how bad the teams at the bottom are. And look how good the teams at the top are. Wooey. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Game four of the NBA Finals coming up later on tonight, a 9 Eastern time tip on ABC. The Lakers lead this series two games to one after the Heat's game three win. And right now on pregame.com, L.A. is a seven-point favorite heading into this one. Yeah, this is down from nine and a half in game three. Uh, Injuries look better for Miami, but... You really don't know. Uh, What's your sense of uh, what percentage of 100% we're going to get from the return players? I I think Bam Adebayo is probably about 70%. Um, Dragic is going to try and play. Look, that's a torn plantar fascia. I I don't know what capacity he's going to look. And I almost wonder if him playing at a diminished ability, which he's clearly going to be at, is more of a detriment than it would be a help to them. Yeah. You got to give him credit. Listen, we complain when the guys aren't tough like they used to be. And I think there's some truth to that. But you could say that they're not tough like they used to be because it was stupid to be that tough. I mean, you look at Ali, Frazier, and the thrill in manila the third fight that was the greatest fight i've ever seen you know on tape but um i didn't have to suffer with brain damage from it (laughs) but i mean it 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 doesn't take you to be all that evolved to say you know brain damage probably a little bit much for a sporting event and then when you have mikhail and you know the whole you know can't walk right over a game so to me it's the old is it uh, is it pain? Is it discomfort? Or you're going to be damaged? And if it's pain and discomfort, you're probably making enough money to feel a little pain. But damaged, yeah, I can see where the players don't want to do that, and I, I think that's right. Um, to me, it's all about the Lakers, and it's amazing that motivation and focus can be such a question. But how do they? I mean, they don't lose Game Three unless they're a little lackadaisical, right? Yeah, it looks sloppy. There was a lot of turnovers. I think LeBron and Anthony Davis had 13 or 14 turnovers. I think I think LeBron had eight turnovers himself, which is not normal. And then you had Miami was was talking a little bit after the game, almost as if this isn't just a fluke. We got one win in a series. We're still a legitimate threat in this series. So that's why I'm curious to see how the Lakers come out, because I would expect them to come out firing on all cylinders, pissed off. Which is the whole zigzag, right? Yeah. Is but it's just amazing to think. It's like imagine if a heart surgeon, like every other surgery, he was a little bit <laughs> off. I mean, it'd be like I hope he last guy died. You know, I'll probably you know. So it's kind of hard to imagine with LeBron. You know, literally, if they would have won Game Three, this one's over. You know, at least history says this one's over. It's kind of hard to believe that LeBron, you know that they came out lax. Yeah. So um, one interesting point. Is Anthony Davis over or under? You can bet his points. 29 and a half. Now, McKenzie, pregame.com research, set, said, hey, um, Anthony Davis has the second most points per game than any player behind MJ. I, I, I can't believe that's true, but he's pretty good. <laughs> I'm kind of shocked at it. By the way, I got quickly an amazing stat for you here. These are the three coaches, Jonas, that have four or more division titles in the last five years. Bill Belichick, five out of five. Andy Reid, four out of five. Bill O'Brien, yep. four out of five. 
Only three of them. One got fired yesterday. Yeah, it's cra- I, I Like you said yesterday, GM is one thing, but head coach is a different conversation. But, uh, he was a horrible GM. I think he was an above-average coach, but winning four out of five division titles with Belichick and Reed ain't enough. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.